Well, as you can see from the screen, we're getting back into 1 Corinthians. We took a little break and we did the Creed series. Last week we had an awesome bonus Sunday. And now we get back into this book that we've been just really on a journey, working our way verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. So we've been on a little break, but I'm comforted by the fact that you guys never forget anything we say. Right? You perfectly remember. So what I'm going to do is a little reminder, a little refresher, just for giggles, okay? If you remember, Paul planted this church in Corinth on his second missionary journey. Corinth is a city, on an ancient city, on the Greek peninsula. And that city back in that day was a wild city. It like had the wealth of L.A., it had the influence of D.C., the cosmopolitan nature of New York City, the sexual immorality of Las Vegas, and then the rampant pagan idolatry of a city with rampant pagan idolatry. I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't fill in the blank on that, but there you are. So you get a feel for the city. Now, when you hear that, you go, that's a horrible place for a church. No, that's a great place for a church. That's a wonderful place church. It's not the water around the boat that is the problem. It's when the water gets in the boat that is the problem. So it's not the worldliness around the church that is the problem. It's when the worldliness gets into the church. And sadly, this little church in Corinth, there was a lot of water in the boat. They were a hot mess. In fact, we've said they were a dumpster fire. So what's that mean? If you remember some of the things we've looked at already, they were valuing human reason and human rhetoric above the Holy Spirit, above the Word of God. They were uh, fighting over their favorite preachers, their little factions in the church. They were suing each other. There was sexual immorality in the church. Uh, And even worse, like the church leadership wasn't doing jack about it. Like they were just letting it go. That was a problem. There's a lot of confusion over sex and marriage and singlehood. That was going on. They wouldn't lay down their rights just to serve their brothers and sisters. And if you remember my very last sermon before we took a break, there was idolatry going on. Because idolatry all over their their city. Uh, But remember we found out that idols aren't real, but demons are. Paul taught them that. So that's, listen, they were a dumpster fire. So on Paul's third missionary journey, he was camped out in Ephesus. While he's in Ephesus, there was a lot of trade, a lot of traffic between Corinth and Ephesus. So Paul keeps getting word about how this church he planted and loves is a dumpster fire. Plus, the church in Corinth sent an official delegation to go ask Paul some questions. So Paul's in Corinth and he pens this letter that we're studying our way through. And this is his attempt to put out the dumpster fire. Here's the comforting part. If you come across a church that is a mess, it might be a New Testament church, right? And if you think your life is a mess, you might fit right in. Because church is not for people whose poop don't stink, It's for us, people like us. That's really comforting to me. And here's how that works. See, when you have a dry boat in the middle of the water, like it's dry inside the boat, that's great. But all these people are drowning around you. So what do you do? You start pulling them in to save them, right? Now, do they come in dry? No, they come in dripping wet. Now there's water inside the boat, but it came from a good thing. We're saving people. But now it got messy. 
got messy. So the solution, as Paul's writing this letter, the solution is not a church of Pharisees, right? Uh, or a circle the wagon kind of church to just protect ourselves and pat ourselves on the back that we're so freaking holy, we're great. That's not it. I mean, that, those ch- there's churches like that. They haven't seen a redemption story. They haven't pulled anyone into the boat in decades. Oh, but they've baptized their own kids, at least until the kids grow up, go off to college and leave Jesus. That's not the goal. That's not the goal. And if a church takes new ground as it should, it'll be messy at times. And the church in Corinth was a dumpster fire. All right, now that brings you up to speed. We're going to pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll start in verse 23. I got to warn you, it's a long passage. It's packed and it's so awesome. I love this passage. It starts out with this. It says, all things are lawful. Sweet. Oh my God, that's fantastic. That means you can do whatever you want. You go, I love this Christianity stuff. The Christians in Corinth loved that idea. In fact, that was probably a slogan of theirs. As we look at it, Paul will put it in quotes because like, it, that was a slogan they had. Why? Because what are they saying? Listen, Jesus died for you. He paid for it all. Go do whatever the heck you want. It doesn't matter. Well, a couple of problems with that thinking. First of all, it means you're probably not saved. You're probably not a Christian. Because that doesn't reflect a heart of repentance, of running to God, of wanting God to be God. That's a problem. Uh, The other problem is I only gave you the first four words. So here's the passage. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. This is going to be a lot about freedom. This is about freedom and fish. I'll explain it a bit. But here's the idea. You're free. Okay, but listen. Just because something is permissible doesn't mean it's good. You are free to stick a fork in your eye. I wouldn't recommend it. Right? Or, okay, let's get at it this way. Think of Golden Corral. Right? All you can eat buffet, golden corral. Okay, listen, it's all lawful. It's all paid for. It's all permissible. And it's not just dinner food. It's like dessert, right? Like all that stuff doesn't mean that it's healthy to overeat. Like when you take that large soup bowl and you're using it for the ice cream, no bueno, right? bad, Bad idea right there. In fact, doesn't mean any of the food there is healthy to eat, except for the salad bar. Why is that even there? How many salad eaters think, I want to go to Golden Crown? Like, that's, that's not a thing. The reason the salad bar is there is because you've been to this thing four times. <laughs> and each of the four times, you've got three dinner rolls. So you've been loading fat and carbs. So on the one time, you go, you know what? I'm going to throw a little salad on there because I'm pretty much eating healthy. Like, no, no, you're not, right? You're not. 
Okay, how many looking at this are now hungry, right? I, I get it. You're sinners and you need to repent. So <clears throat> what I want you to do, though, is I want you to imagine life is like a trip to Golden Corral. You're free. It's all permissible. But it doesn't mean it's healthy. And you need to learn how to possess your freedom wisely. Wisely, okay? So to be f- truly free, you need to understand what freedom means. And listen, freedom does not equal I can do whatever I want. Freedom equals fulfilling my purpose. And it's different. So I told you this is about fish. Let me tell you why. Okay, so is a fish free to swim wherever it wants? I mean, they, it's, you put, see a fish in water, it's so free. What if the fish goes up on shore? And it's flopping around as the breath slowly leaves its body. That fish is not free. No, no. There are boundaries for what is helpful, what builds up. And so the fish in the ocean is free. The fish on shore is not. It's dying. And I want you to be a free fish. Be free, little fish. Like, have you ever, I don't know if you've ever been fishing and you do catch and release and you take that hook out and, and when you put that fish in back in the water and it doesn't move for a, like a split second and then all of a sudden, whoosh, that fish is free. And you see freedom take over because it, it knows its purpose. Its purpose is to be in the water. And that's true freedom. Listen, you as a fish were designed to swim in the ocean of God. And when you do, you are free. When you go to the shore, you die. That's not freedom. It doesn't end well. So be a free fish. But Paul is also going to say, if you look in the passage, be a loving fish. Verse 24 says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So your freedom isn't just about you, right? And what you want to do with your freedom for your life and for your pleasure. No, it's about loving the other fish around you, okay? So to be truly free, you have to know your purpose. You have to know your goal. And as followers of Jesus, our goal is love. We're to love God and to love each other, the other fish all around us. It's not to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. That's hedonism. But if we're honest, that's how most of us think and live throughout our days. But that's not actually how we're supposed to live. If you live that way as a hedonist, then you will be a slave, not free, you'll be a slave to pleasure and you're flopping around on the beach as you slowly die. So if my purpose is to love, to love God and to love other people, then that's my freedom as a fish. Now, what that means then is kingdom goals become my goals. So I'm really, I'm orienting, I'm using my freedom because I want to grow in Christ. I want to help others connect in Christ. And once they do, I want to help them grow in Christ. This becomes my goal. So it's not freedom plus hedonism, maximize pleasure. It's freedom plus the Holy Spirit. It's freedom plus wisdom, freedom plus kingdom goals, freedom plus love. Now go make your decisions. That's what Paul's saying there. Not seeking your own good, but the good of your neighbor. Go be a free fish, but be a loving fish. All right, so Paul builds this paradigm in the background. 
What he's going to do next is apply it to the particular situation that he probably heard about, perhaps from the delegation, perhaps from traders, whatever, and he's heard about something going on in Corinth. And it's that uh, they are wrestling with the issue, are they as Christians allowed to eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol? You remember he addressed this earlier in the letter as well. Here's the deal. They were new Christians, and they're living in this rampantly pagan society. Corinth was known for its temples and its idols. They were just like, they were silly with it, right? Now, all the meat that came in, all the animals first went to the temple, a pagan idol temple, and they were sacrificed there. Well, then how's there any meat? You don't understand. Uh, what it meant is that they would take like the head and the entrails, the inedible parts, and those would be burnt on the altar in worship to that false god. And then the edible parts, the good meat, uh, sometimes it would be consumed right in the temple as a worship ceremony. So you would be worshiping the idol by eating that meat in the temple. But sometimes the meat was then taken to the marketplace and sold there. Sometimes your friend would invite you over for dinner. They had bought the meat in the marketplace and you're over at their house. And, and so you got to wrestle with, do you eat this? Okay, that's what's going on there. So you're a Christian, you're going, okay, wait a minute. Is this pagan idol meat? If I eat that, am I worshiping a false god? Am I as a Christian allowed to eat that meat? And Paul's answer is, you are free. You're free, little fish. You are free. In fact, what he says there is eat what you want in the meat market. So, vegetarians. That's my life first. I'm thinking about that'll be my next tattoo probably right there. Because I just want to be biblical. No, not so much. You get the idea that you are free. And what, what's going on is the idols aren't real. God is. And he owns everything. So it quotes Psalm 24 there where it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to God. So get out the steak knives. It's going to be a party. It's going to be awesome. Now, if you go to an unbeliever's house, he says you can eat the meat there. It may have been sacrificed to an idol. You don't know. Don't ask. Don't go on a proactive witch hunt. No, don't. Why? Number one, it's theologically unnecessary. But number two, it's rude. And we're going to act in love. And our desire is to connect our non-Christian friend with Jesus. And so we're not going to start off by offending them over asking about where they got their meat. That's silly, right? So don't do that. See how freedom and love are working together? It's perfect. That's what's going on there. Now, so far with this paradigm, Paul is really emphasizing the freedom side really hard, but he's not done. So let's see how the passage continues. Pick it up in verse 28. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience. If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? All right, so what's going on here is this is not your non-Christian host that's bringing this up because they don't talk about it as meat sacrifice idol. They just call that meat. 
That's just their culture. That's what they do. No, no, no. There's a fellow Christian there who brings it up and goes, hey, hey, this, um, this means sacrifice to an idol. Now, this is a Christian who doesn't understand the freedom that they actually have in Jesus Christ. And so he or she is concerned and brings it up specifically. And in that circumstance, you're free. But Paul says, what's the loving thing to do? What's the Holy Spirit thing to do? What's the kingdom thing to do to bless that person? Like when you are eating meat but hurting your brother, is that a net win? Just so you have a steak? And Paul's like, no, what's the loving thing to do? So what you do is you temporarily set aside your freedom. Temporarily because it says, then do not eat. Then and only then. Temporarily, you set aside your freedom, and it says, quote unquote, for the sake of the one who informed you. Notice it's not for your sake. It's not about your freedom. It's not about your convictions. It's not about your spiritual health. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with love towards a weak brother. Does that sound harsh that I called him weak? I'm just using Paul's term. That's what he called them in. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. They are actually not correct about their conviction. They're actually weak in that. And, and so you're going to nonetheless love them. You're not going to change your mind. You're going to change your heart. So, so what's going on is there's this really fine balance then. But, uh, and, and in the midst of it, even while Paul is exhorting us to love, he's still defending freedom. Did, did you catch that? Notice, it's not this carte blanche blanket statement, you can never eat meat. No, it's in a specific circumstance when a specific person specifically brings up the objection, you're going to bless that Christian by temporarily not eating meat. Okay? Because they're weak. It doesn't say never eat meat. It doesn't say, oh, you can eat meat in private at home, but never eat meat out in public because some other Christian might see you and they might be of weaker conscience and you might offend them. Don't say that. If it did say that, this letter would be a lot shorter. And so would my sermon, and we'd all be at Golden Corral right now. Right? But, but think, like, think how short Paul just says, hey, never eat meat. Boom, we're done. He doesn't do that. Doesn't do that. Why? Because if he did that, then our freedom would be decimated. It would be controlled by the wrong convictions of the weaker brother. But that's not the way it goes. So you are free to do what you want, but temporarily you'll set aside your freedom out of love. So it's not about right and wrong. It's about loving that person, being a loving fish. I want you to be a loving fish. Okay? So here's what I'm saying. Your freedom is not constrained by their opinion. Your freedom is constrained by your love. That's different. And you temporarily alter your behavior out of consideration, but your convictions remain the same. That didn't change at all. So you are a free fish, but you are also a loving fish. And now I want to add a third. I want you to be a gracious fish. Where's grace come into this? Listen, this is about debatable matters. Gray areas, unclear areas. These are areas of freedom. How do we get that? Remember how it started? All things are lawful. Right? All things are... 
Like murder? Rape? Theft? No, of course not. It's not about clear sin in the scripture. This is about debatable sins. So like a clear sin, I'm walking down the road. I pass the temple. You're in there. I see you bowing down in worship to a false God, even though you claim to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to say, listen, that can't work. That's clear sin. But whether or not you eat meat bought in the marketplace, that's a debatable matter. In that case, freedom's in play. Love is in play. So where's grace coming? Well, we've got to give each other space in the body of Christ to come to different opinions on this and be gracious with each other as we disagree over these things. Listen, I have my hands full trying to control me. It's a big task. I don't have a lot of extra energy to spend on trying to control you on debatable gray areas. Clear sin, yes, then we confront each other in love. But then it's not an issue of my opinions. No, now it's God's word controlling all of us. Even then, though, we confront in love. Love's still in play. And I'm doing it with vision for you and loving you. but, But listen, let's keep in mind, we're all on a journey. Let's cheer each other on. Let's believe the best of each other. Let's help each other. Let's not berate and belittle each other. We don't have time for that. Set that aside. So I want you to be a free fish. I want you to be a loving fish and a gracious fish, right? So one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Thank you. Okay, there you go. So... Now, what we've done by delving into 1 Corinthians 10 is I have really helped you as Christians know what to do about meat sacrificed to idols. So later today, when you go to Giant Eagle and you're really in a quandary, should I buy that steak or not? Was it like, how's that help us? This is not our issue, right? How do we apply this to our lives today? Well, a very common application is about drinking alcohol. And I'll talk about that in just a bit. But first thing you got to know is, on the one hand, it's not really about that. Unless, unless you know of, you know, that one beer that was actually sacrificed in worship to an idol. And your question is, can I drink that idol beer? But personally, I've never seen that beer. That's, that's not the issue. And that's what this is about. It's about idol worship. But, okay, at the same time, uh, drinking alcohol does fall into a gray area, an unclear area, debatable area among Christians. And so there are things that we can apply from this. Uh, number one, clear sin is clear sin. So the Bible says clearly that drunkenness is sin. So anytime you're buzzed or worse, you are in sin and you need to repent of that. And that's a problem. That's a problem. We have tons of addicts in our congregation, praise God for that. And for them to drink at all is going to lead towards drawing. I mean, you just can't. And they know they can't. Okay? But then we get into a debatable matter. Can a Christian just have a beer? And the answer is this. You are free. You're free. 
within biblical bounds so you're not flopping up on the shore. You can do as you please. Abad, if somebody has a weaker conscience and they bring that up to you, you might temporarily, you should temporarily set it aside just to love them. You don't agree with them. You're not changing your life, but you'll temporarily just love them. And if you're out with one of our addicts, don't order a beer. Like, like, is that beer more important than them? Stop, right? And so I'll temporarily set aside my freedom in order to love a sister or a brother. Of course. But it's only for the moment. Because otherwise, it's a back door to legalism and the Pharisees get to make all the rules again. But that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. So what I'm saying is drinking beer is not sin. Drinking light beer is sin. (laughs) Going on record with that one. We have a staff member whose favorite beer, kids you not, is Pabst Blue Ribbon. Now, I found that out during the interview process. I almost didn't hire him. Because churches have to have standards, right? That's just not good. That's no bueno right there. All right, now that, listen, there's principle. I just gave you one application of the principles. You're going to have to take those principles and apply them in other areas of life. But that's the thing. It's about principles, not rules. And so what I need you to do, little fish, is I also need you to be a mature fish. There's the next one, a mature fish. Why? Because, let me be clear. I don't mean an old fish. It strikes me sometimes. crushes my heart to see how many old people are not mature. So I don't mean being old, I mean being mature. And what I mean by that is this, freedom terrifies us. Freedom scares us, especially other people's freedom. We don't like it. And so wouldn't it just be easier if Paul just said, never eat meat, not a bite. Never drink beer, not a drop. And we so want laws. Even though laws are devoid of power, They only condemn us. They never help us. They never save. They never sanctify. But we gravitate toward law. Why? Because they're crisp and they're clean and they're clear. And they're also immature. They're immature. You see, to have to balance freedom with love and grace and figure that out over time, that's tough. And it takes time. And so you have to be mature. You have to learn maturity. But you see, when when people first start wrestling with newfound freedom, it's always messy. Think of a kid going off to college. It's always messy, right? Right? They're like William Wallace, freedom! It just goes horribly, right? And we don't like mess, so what we want to do is come in then with extra rules you can never drink. Now that's not a rule God made, but we'll blame God for it. And oh good, we have rules again. We have rules again. But laws don't save. Laws don't sanctify. Another word for sanctify is mature. Laws don't mature us. Listen, legalism locks in immaturity. Legalism locks in immaturity. It it prevents the maturation process. Still, we love our rules. We want rules. We want a rule. Paul just said, just please say, Christians can never drink beer or Christians can always drink beer. And he says, sometimes. Now, you're going to have to use your brain. You're going to have to use 
the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to use wisdom and character and love and grace. You're going to have to mature. Awesome. Be a mature fish. Because legalism locks in immaturity. Now there's one last bit of the passage. And here's what he says. There we go. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. All right, so, so now I want you to become a glorifying fish. Be a glorifying boy. He says, do all to the glory of God. And he says, in whatever you do. So, in whatever you do. That seems really broad and inclusive, right? Does that in- include your job? Yeah. Your dating life? Yeah. Your hobbies? Yep. What you look at on the internet? Sure. What you do on social media? That too. Everything. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So for me as a Christ follower, my goal is no longer to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. That's hedonism, that's slavery, that's flopping on the shore. No, my goal is to glorify God. And so while I'm free to swim in the ocean of God, I want to be asking the question, whatever I'm about to do, will it glorify God? Will it advance his kingdom? Notice he says in there, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many that they may be saved. So Paul is going to view every human encounter as a divine appointment that he can leverage to draw them towards Christ. And here's what I'm saying. If you settle your heart on glorifying God, building the kingdom, your growth in Christ, drawing people to Christ, on being led by the Holy Spirit, all this stuff. The debatable matters will work out. It's just details. But what I think happens is that we as Christians love to debate debatable matters while we haven't settled our hearts on just glorifying God and walking with Him. And that's where we get off track. We have, in that moment, we've strained a gnat and swallowed a camel. And in that case, you're a stupid fish. I probably shouldn't have said that. But, but that's how we go. Now, let me give you a note of ir- irony on this. The application of this might be really different today than in Paul's day. The truth is the same. The scriptures don't change. But we have to figure out how to apply those in our times. So the Christians in Corinth are this fledgling little church that's just newfounded Christianity in the midst of this wildly Greco-Roman idolatrous society. And what they have to wrestle through is how do I live out my faith in a way that doesn't make it seem like I'm still into their idolatry? That's not our situation. What's our situation? So we live in a post-Christian society in which our neighbors think that Christianity is a religion of rules, not a gospel of grace. They think that God is a cosmic killjoy, not a joy giver. 
They think you can be free or be a Christian. You can have fun or be a Christian. Now, how do you live out your freedom in a way that brings glory to God and draws people towards Christ? See, it's a little ironic. It's a little different, actually. You'll have to think that through on your own. Because I want to sneak in just one last fish before we're done. And that is, I, I want you to be a Jesus fish. Not like some silver ichthus thing you put on your car. I'm not talking about that. Uh, but if you look at the end there, Paul is basically saying, hey, tell you what, let's just all follow Jesus' example. Like if all this stuff, this paradigm that I've given you, if it's way too complicated, he's saying, what if we just follow Jesus? Why, why point to Christ in the middle? Of, listen, was Jesus free? Jesus is God. He can do whatever the heck he wants. But what did he do? He temporarily set aside his freedom. Why? Out of love. Out of grace. Out of maturity. Out of glorifying God. Out of building the kingdom and that many may be saved. Remember, Jesus regularly frustrated the conservative religious establishment and their extra rules. He regularly frustrated them. But he didn't do it out of hedonism. He did it because he was on a mission to seek and save the lost. So go be like Jesus. I mean, if all this is really complicated, listen, just fall in love with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Be like Jesus. And could you imagine if we gave up debating debatable matters and instead we put all that energy into having hearts like Jesus? That's my church. That's where I want to be. So, this has been a really fishy sermon. <laughs> Stupid joke. Sorry about that. Here's the thing. Little fish, little fish, listen. I want you to enjoy your freedom. God made you free. Go swim in the ocean of God. Have a blast. But, but you will occasionally and temporarily limit your freedom out of love. And then I want you to be a gracious fish because we're going to disagree on debatable matters and that's okay. Let's not burn too much energy on that. And then I want you to be mature because legalism walks in immaturity. So let's grow up and let's be mature with some of these things. And then as God's fish, let's be asking the question, not how can I maximize pleasure, minimize pleasure, but how can I glorify God in my life this week? And again, if it's just too complex, just be... Be like Jesus. Let's go be imitators of Christ. All right? And for that, let me pray. Father, if I'm honest, we're really bad at this. <laughs> we just are. Thank you for your grace and your patience with us. Father, may we never confuse legalism with holiness, legalism with maturity, no way. And at the same time, could we move off the dime and get away from hedonism and just maximize pleasure, minimize pain like the non-Christians around us? Could we be like your son, Jesus? Would you shape us and mold us into that direction? And I pray for that in Christ's name.